And I was looking around the room, and I realized that I was、um, one of the handful women in the room. And it's like a UX event, so I was thinking to myself, like, where are all the ladies? Like people who are not usually the loudest, they actually have something really interesting to say. Photos of working from the beach, or photos working from the mountain, and this this is giving people like a false image of what digital nomad life actually is. Hey everyone, welcome to Design Work, a podcast where we learn from creatives who are designing their work, lives, and everything in between. I'm your host, Kate Darby. You'll also find me designing brands at my own studio and being co-founder of Dovetail X, a platform to discover and curate epic creative talent. Go check it out at dovetailx.com. This week, I'm chatting with independent UX and product designer Jenny Shen. Jenny works remotely in Amsterdam and has worked with companies like IBM, Crate and Barrel, and Travelbird. She also runs the Ladies That UX Amsterdam community, mentors other designers, and speaks at conferences. In this episode, Jenny fills us in on what it's like to be a remote designer, her favorite countries to work from, running a community. And digital douchebags. Okay, let's get on with it. Hey everyone, today I'm here with Jenny Shen. She's an independent UX and product designer based in Amsterdam. Thanks for joining me today, Jenny. Hi, Kate. It was great to be on the show. Thanks. So you work remotely in Amsterdam. So you're a UX and product designer. Could you maybe give us a little bit of a background on how you came to become a UX product designer and how you came to work remotely? My career started in、uh, UX product design when I、uh, went to university to study interaction design. But bef- actually, I kind of fell into the UX、uh, industry by accident because my When I、uh, went to university, I actually wanted to become a web developer, and my first、uh, my first choice was computing science. And then I kind of saw this new design school that opened near my home,、uh, my city, and then I changed my mind. And so I studied interaction design in Simon Fraser University in、uh, Vancouver, BC. That was really interesting. How like psychology can affect. Uh, like the websites or the mobile apps that we use, so I kind of just、uh, stick with it. And then how I started working remotely was that I st- had my first freelance job in 2011.、Uh, I helped the client design a hot chocolate festival poster, and I have never met the client. Everything was done remotely through emails, sending files.、Um, And it was a it was a great collaboration. So I just thought that if I could do this work without ever meeting the clients, then I can do it from home. Why can't I do it elsewhere? Like why can't I travel to a new place and just work from there? And throughout my career, I've met a few inspiring people or heard inspiring stories of how people become location independent. And that just seems like the life that I want to live. So, I've consciously decided to sort of design a career to to have the lifestyle、um, and the career that I want. That's so awesome! I think that's really fulfilling a lot of designers' dreams of being able to grab their laptop and just go to wherever their heart desires and do work. But I'm sure that it's sort of 
it sounds a lot um, sort of easier and maybe a lot more dreamlike than the realities of it can be. So what are some of the biggest challenges uh, of being a remote designer? Yeah, you're, you're totally right that it seems easier than it actually is. So when I tell people that I work remotely, then people say that you must have a lot of self-discipline to be able to just work from home and not get distracted by like TV or what else is going on. And I think that's true. It does take a lot of self-discipline to work fully remotely because when imagine like one is in a different country, there are so many exciting things, new things going on. And how does one actually carve out a time to do productive work than to just go on the beach or, you know, go to like local events and whatnot. But I've been working remotely for about um, like seven years now, not full time, but um, a big chunk of it is remote work. And over time, I just learned to be more and more um, discipline about setting time for work and setting time for uh, personal life and leisure. Cool. That's, uh, it sounds like remote work is, I do a bit of it myself actually, but it's definitely one of those things that you, it takes a lot of practice and discipline, like you said, to figure out what works for you, what works for the client and how you can get that work-life balance just like you would if you were just freelancing at home. Exactly. And um, I would say another challenge of remote work is that there are not as many remote work uh, jobs or uh, gigs out there. And a lot of a lot of companies, when they when they think about hiring a designer, the default option is usually in office. So Despite that, there's a lot of people who want to work remotely for a client or employer. There are not that many jobs out there. So we have to actually convince the companies that remote is remote uh, people are just as productive, if not more, than people who can come to your office and sit there for eight hours a day. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely a bit of a stigma around remote work, I think particularly managers who have never done it before and there's a lot riding on the project being successful, you know, remote work, having a remote worker just seems like, you know, another barrier. But in reality, just like you said, remote workers can be just as if not more productive. Uh, So one of the things that, you know, somebody who might be anti-remote work or a bit hesitant about it, they might say, oh, well, you know, we just need everybody in the same room bouncing ideas off of each other or, you know, meeting at the water cooler to talk to one another. What would you say to those people who um, have those ideas? Yeah, so uh, as a UX designer, indeed, like brainstorming and talking to people is a main part of our work. So what I say to those people is that there are actually ways People can collaborate and brainstorm remotely. There are a lot of nice products like Envision or Real-Time Board or Mural that can uh, allow us to map our ideas, create mind maps, create stickies, uh, run design sprints all remotely. And the best part is that you don't even need to have a room. You, they don't need to book a room to accommodate like 10 people and like everyone can just collaborate. And now there is this online repository of all the ideas and all the work that has been done without having the need to like take picture of all the stickies and then um, digitizing it. 
So the best part of remote、uh, brainstorming remotely is that all of the work that's done, that's that's the work. Like people don't need to like copy it from、uh, physical to digital. Yeah, definitely. I think there's just some amazing tools that are coming out now. That means you can work remotely with your team. We work remotely with our. Our development team who work on DoveTalex and it's great. You know, we just get on a Skype or a Hangout and chat things through if we do need that kind of conversational talk. But I think working remotely also helps you have less meetings, which can because meetings can become a massive time waster where you're kind of going in circles talking about stuff and not really getting to the point or getting things done. So the cool thing about working remotely, I've found, is that. You're a lot more to the point. Like if you're writing an email, you're not filling in the the silence with sort of unnecessary chit chat about things. You're just getting straight to the point about what needs to happen、uh, and things like that. So I think that's where remote work can be far more productive. Yeah, I totally agree. That's true in my experience as well. And what has been some of the most surprising parts about being a remote worker? Like, are there any things about it that You didn't really expect when you started. I think when I started remote working, I imagined myself to be traveling a lot more than I am now. In the past, it was like my dream to be traveling like several countries a month, or at least one country a month, and be constantly on the move with a luggage and my laptop.、Uh, it has changed now. I have done that for some time, like maybe four months. I was on the road, and then I was I will change country like every other week or every every month. But right now, I find my remote work is like remote work, but without that much traveling. When I travel, it's mostly for conferences or、uh, occasionally for a combination of work and leisure. So what's surprising is that I thought I would be traveling a lot more, but I found that my,、uh, my pace is to have a home base. Like what suits me is to have a home base, and then traveling when I feel like it, or or when work requires it. Yeah, I can imagine that packing up to move in a、um, quite a quick turnaround, like going to a few countries every month, would be pretty exhausting and difficult to get that work time in. And make yourself productive because you're trying to adjust to a new background. You might be staying somewhere that's a bit like not great, and it becomes hard to settle into a routine. Yeah, totally. And I think another reason is because、uh, right now I'm based in Europe, so I'm based in Amsterdam. And over the last three years, when I work remotely while being based here, I've already traveled to most of Europe. So it's also becoming harder to pick a destination without having.、Um, Like getting on a long haul flight and then adjusting to jet lag, then yeah, that's definitely like you said, it's going to make it more difficult for my work. So I just now take it more slowly, choose like one new country every every three or four months or so. Yeah, and that's kind of like my new pace now. Awesome. And what's been obviously you're based in Amsterdam. I imagine that you like it there. What are some of your Favorite places to work remotely from.、Uh, within Europe,、um, I like Budapest a lot. I think it's an interesting city. I really love the、uh, room bars.、Uh, I like how affordable things are. Thermal baths were were great. And recently, I went to.、Um, 
Bucharest. I went to Bucharest, Romania, and I also really like the city. It has a similar vibe to uh, Budapest, but yeah, you know, different in different uh, different in some ways. So I like that. I also like Poland a lot. Um, went to Krakow and Warsaw and other cities. Oh, I I like southern um, Portugal. Actually, Porto from um, Porto in Portugal would be my favorite city to uh, remote work from. Cool. I've heard great things about Porto as well. Yeah, Porto was great. It's like a charming city. Uh, love the relaxed vibe, and the food is amazing. And there's also like a tech startup scene. I got to meet uh, a few people that were uh, well nomading nomading from there. And I got to know the city a bit more. So yeah, I liked Porto a lot. That's cool. And so do you find that you get quite involved in that sort of digital nomad community when you're traveling? I uh, I guess yes and no. So uh, I used to be a part of a community, like nomad community, but now I am more shifting my focus to people who actually do remote work professionally, remote worker who are like doing this for a living, they have their own business. And I guess it just depends on how one defines the digital nomad community. Like many people just, if they are new to nomading and then they join this nomad community to ask about um, being a digital nomad, but the difference with remote workers that remote workers usually have a bit more established businesses. So when I travel, I usually reach out to the UX communities in that city or that um, yeah in that city second place I would go to is um, Taptel so that's also another um, community where I get to meet other freelancers based in that city and also I just put a, a feeler out from my Twitter like hey anyone in portal that I could meet up or I would reach out to companies uh, local company to to see if they are interested to meet with a UX designer from abroad. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point that you make about the difference between a sort of like air quotes digital nomad and somebody who actually has a remote business because I I read a really interesting article the the other week about the dark side of digital nomads and how they, (laughs) you know, come into a city, like use the cheap services of the city, but all the while kind of putting prices up for locals and they're not really paying like taxes and things like that and how it's kind of this, it can be quite an exploitative like practice. So um, I I definitely agree that there's kind of two sides to it with people who are more conscious like yourself who sort of base yourself in one place for a solid amount of time running an actual business versus kind of traveling around like writing blog posts here and there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So people think that um, like digital nomads, um, well, well, I guess there are some digital nomads that are like solopreneurs and then they are, they are jumping into digital nomad because they think it's cool. They think yeah. it's cool to work from a beach, but but they are not actually working on the business full time. So instead they are putting up um like on the Instagram photos of working from the beach or photos working from the mountain. And this is, this is giving people like a false image of what digital nomad life is, is actually is. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny when I, yeah, when I see those Instagrams of, you know, office for the day and it's on a beach and I'm like, how can you even work? Like the glare <laughs> of the sun at the very least would be impossible to even see your screen. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. it's so funny. There's a funny Instagram account as well 
which is called You Did Not Sleep There. And it's like, oh. it sort of takes um, images that people put up of um, te- like tents and campsites that are in really stupid locations, like on a cliff, um, just calling out these like people who have travel Instagrams that are really unrealistic. So I think somebody mm-hmm. could do one for air quote digital nomads who probably don't actually work on the beach. <laughs> I, I do. Uh, I, I know of another one is called Digital Douchebag. Oh. <laughs> and it would, it would just show like somebody um, working on a laptop from a pool. And I, I just like, how can you work? Like, is, is your laptop like waterproof or in a really re- um, funny, hilarious locations? And like, I guess, um, yeah, memes to, to show like, to contrast this digital nomad, digital douchebag behavior. Yeah, I love it. I love that the stuff gets to be brought back down to earth because it can quite easily blow up into a big kind of like hot trend that's now like a Forbes article about it. And it's kind of cringe. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and so one of the other things that you do, apart from obviously remote work, is you're also a mentor. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you got started mentoring? I started mentoring um, actually when I was um, in in university. Like my first ever mentor experience was that I was asked to mentor a group of students entering um, a web design challenge and then throughout the career I've also had a few like mentoring jobs at my university uh, teaching um, teaching design tools like Photoshop and Dreamweaver uh, there was no sketch at the time and I've also had a, um, other mentoring experiences like on t- out of office hours that's like a volunteer uh, mentoring um, platform to match mentees and mentors and how I got started in my own mentorship uh, mentorship program is that I talked to a lot of like designers day to day, and I realized that many people are looking for mentors. Now, even I was looking for mentors. Seems to be really difficult to find one, uh, despite that many people will find a mentor uh, helpful and you know valuable to their career. So I just thought that okay, if I cannot find a mentor, other people are looking for a mentor. I have mentored before. Why don't I just become a mentor and start accepting mentees? And since I'm independent, like I and I already have um, a volunteer role at Ladies at UX, so I cannot volu- uh, I cannot mentor for free. So I just decided to put up a landing page to describe some of my past mentor uh, mentoring experiences and see if anyone will be interested. And apparently people are, um, there's a lot of people interested in my mentorship and that's just how, how this started. And I've been mentoring like part-time uh, for more than a year now. That's awesome. And so what have you found makes a good mentor? So I was actually looking at your website and I can see that you obviously put a lot of time and effort into creating a bit of structure around your mentoring do you find that it's better to, you know, create those like time slots and structure and sort of activities focused um, things versus having a more casual kind of relationship with somebody? It all depends really because there are different types of mentors and there are different types of mentees. I personally prefer um, a mentor-mentee relationship while uh, where 
the mentee is active and is asking good questions, being thoughtful with questions and are respectful of both of our time showing up to appointment. So I personally find that having the structure um, setting like one call per month or one call every two weeks actually help because if I don't set this structure, maybe I get busy or the mentee get busy and we both forget to to have this call. So for my style, uh, I think having a little bit of structure helps and it's basically also trial and error really. Like when I started the mentorship program, it's, it's a bit different from how it is now. So how I... Um, how I run the mentorship program when it started is that I set a period of four months because I think this is uh, not a long time for people to commit to a mentor-mentee mentor relationship. And it's also like not a short time for them to get, get to know me and chat about struggles and whatnot. And that we will have one call a month, like set, uh, set schedule. So after uh, running that um structure for about a year and I realized that it is difficult for it is not that uh, it's not as valuable for mentees to think about what they want to ask me and just be forced to like come up with topics to ask me every month and also some mentees have told me that um, sometimes I do prefer like instant feedback because maybe there's a deadline there's uh, related to a real project so how it is now, so I, I listen to feedback act, actually after every um, cohort, every three, three to four months, um, I collect the feedback, I improve my program based on the feedback. And what it is, it is now is that I realize each mentee have different goals, different career goals, different you know lifestyle goals, like maybe some of them want to freelance, some of them want to become a remote worker. Every person's goal is different. So what I do now is that I set up a strategy call. Um, the first call is about getting to know where they are, where they want to be. And then uh, I help to set up a game plan for them to uh, reach that goal. And I will be the one to set up like the um, what's like the content of the mentorship. Like it could be based on just portfolio or improving their remote work skills. So that's actually how it has changed over the years is that I take feedback and I keep on improving the program and improving myself uh, as a mentor. That's really cool. It sounds like you've taken quite the user experience design approach to designing your mentor program. Yeah, exactly. And you were also asking earlier about um, how to be a good mentor. I find that to be a good mentor, um, of course, people have different uh, mentoring style. And I, what I find personally, what I would see as a good mentor is one that is listening. Like the person actually tried to understand my situation, understand my pains before jumping into a conclusion or before jumping into giving his or her um, feedback or suggestion. I really like somebody who tried to understand the full context, ask me questions. Um, why did you do it that way? What were you thinking? Uh, just like how a UX designer will approach um, a project is that we, we want to understand the context. We want to understand the why. So I like somebody that's listening. And I also like to, um, I also like to have a mentor, mentor that's available because I have reached out to people in the past, um, people that I look up to and never received a reply. So I decided that when 
when I become a mentor and I am a mentor now is that I want to be available for the students. I, um, I want to let them know that I am there for them. I am listening to uh, their problems in their careers or struggles they face uh, in their jobs. So I decided to, be, to become that type of mentor. That's really cool. And do you have a mentor, mentor or mentors yourself? I used to when I was interning at IBM, and that's also showing me like the benefits of having a mentor. Um, and right now, I do have a mentor, except that she's also a bit busy now. But uh, I am being mentored by a um, like a UX lead uh, that's based in Belgium, and she's she's really she's really nice, and she um, she's like a good mentor, like what I described. Uh, she listens, she asks questions, and she also, uh, out of her busy schedule, like finds time to answer my questions regarding like some more difficult like leadership challenges. And we have a lot in common. We both, uh, well, we're both UX designers, we're both women, and we are both running uh, UX communities. So I find that having um, things in common with your mentor also helps this like click um, with a mentor or with a mentee. Uh, and so you mentioned a couple of times there that you've got ladies who UX, is that right? Amsterdam? Yeah. So it's a community that's based in Amsterdam that I founded in 2015. And I've now taken the, another role at Ladies at UX as the EMEA regional director. Awesome. That's really cool. And so with the mentoring and, you know, starting your own community and event series, you know, that takes a lot of courage and, you know, backing yourself. Do you battle with imposter syndrome at all? I'm not saying at all that you should, but like, I know personally, I run events and things like that sometimes. And sometimes I just think like, who am I to be, you know, telling people, these things like, and you can, I can definitely feel like a bit of an imposter. Do you struggle Mm -hmm. with that at all? Yeah, I think I used to, um, more when I am looking for a job (laughs) for Mm -hmm. some reason, like becoming a freelancer just kind of makes me think more like entrepreneur. But when I look for jobs or when I interview, I have definitely felt this imposter syndrome. Like I am not as good as other people because I always see like you know, super perfect portfolios and really thorough case studies. I'm just like, no, I'm not going to get this job. Or like, like, why am I applying for the senior or leadership position? I should be applying for, you know, something that's maybe um, lower and I am more comfortable with. So yeah, I definitely felt that. And in terms of like in a community regarding um, running events, um, I don't feel the imposter syndrome in that way, like in, in that part because I am just running an event. I have actually never spoken in my own events at all. I always just give this platform for other people to share their experiences. So perhaps that's also why um, I feel imposter syndrome more like in my UX design career than uh, running um, diversity inclusion events. Sure. And I think you raise a good point about you know, when you're freelance, because you're sort of setting your own expectations, you're creating your own goals that you're trying to achieve, you know, there's nobody that you can't really feel like an imposter in that way, because you're the one that's setting the expectations. Whereas when you're going into a job for another company, you feel like you're trying to make sure that you're meeting all of these other people's expectations. And I think that's when it can feel 
like you're an imposter because you're not really sure where you're supposed to be measuring up to and if you're enough or not and it's you feel like you can feel like you're going in blind sometimes yeah and uh, another play, like another part that I feel m- actually most imposter syndrome is in my conference speaking uh life like when when people reach out to me and I- invite me to speak at like really well known conferences I am just like no, you have made a mistake. I, I am not this like amazing conference speaker that you're looking for. Like, like, come on, like your events had so many big names, celebrities appearing, like who am I to speak in this, in this conference? So I am, when I received like emails like that, I am really shocked. I doubt myself a little bit, uh, but then I guess the most important of how um, the conference speaking all happened is because I decided to overcome the imposter syndrome and just be like, okay, I guess I will trust your judgment. I'll give it a try. And if it sucks, um, I'm sure they will tell me. Cool. And yeah, so how, how have you found your experience in conference speaking? So you've obviously done it more than once. So it worked out well the first time. Yeah, and I'm I'm really happy that uh, the conference gave me a chance. I, I first gave this talk, like my most popular talk about cross-cultural UX design at a meetup. And then after that, um, now that I have the material, I started to pitch it to conferences and they gave me a chance. They let me step on stage uh, in front of like 400, 500 people. I just kept on speaking since... Um, the first conference gave me a trend, which I am really grateful for. That's awesome. And I, I think it's great to see more women like yourself getting on stage and also hosting events and starting communities and being really active and vocal online and in person. It creates such a great, um, great visibility for other young women and young designers who are coming up to see um see other people doing these things and you know working remotely and doing these projects or um, coming from different backgrounds so that's really awesome how have you found you know um, the community building and ladies at UX and other communities you're a part of yeah I totally agree it's more about um, visibility and also having diverse voices in the events organization I actually started the Amsterdam chapter of Ladies at UX because I went to a lot of events and I listened to a lot of speakers. But I noticed a pattern is that the speakers or the organizer are usually um, guys. So and then also the attendees are mostly guys. I remember going to a UX uh, local UX events and it was a big one. It was a big one with about 80 people, 70, 80 people. And I was looking around the room and I realized that I was um, one of the handful women in the room. And it's like a UX event. So I was thinking to myself, like, where are all the ladies? Why is it only men in the UX community? So I decided to challenge that. I decided to found a, found a community and to find people more like me, like people who might have similar struggles or at least just like a different kind of human to share experience with. Uh, so it's not like I'm only hearing just one type of voice. So yeah, I really enjoy um, building communities, mostly uh, like surfacing diverse voices and diverse talents. And you'll find that when you give other people a chance, um, like people who are not usually the loudest, they actually have something really interesting to say. They just need like this one little push, this little like 
opportunity for them to have the stage and and shine. Because usually people um, give opportunities to whoever is the loudest. And I find that taking a different approach has been really great. And people come up to, come up to me when they see me, they're like, oh, you founded a Ladies UX Amsterdam. Like I found it so valuable or I got a job or I am more encouraged because uh, I meet awesome people in your community. It's like so encouraging and I, you know, it keeps me going. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I totally know what you mean about turning up to sort of tech events or design events and you look around the room and you think like, oh, and I'm like one of three women here. And it's it's just, it kind of sucks. Like it's not that I don't want to be around like these people who are here, but I'm just like, I would love to see some more representation of women here. And especially in something like user experience design where you're designing for you like users who are typically you know, depending on what it is, at least it's like 50-50 male to female, you know, we do need diverse representation in our designers so that we can design for our audience if we want to do a good job at it. And that's just talking about gender. And then you get into other parts of diversity there as well. So I think the more we like open these doors with different groups and communities and events, it just helps those voices which might have been a little bit smaller in the corner or feeling like they've got imposter syndrome to step forward and feel like they can belong. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Like you don't see me, but I am like nodding <laughs> to everything <laughs> that you're saying in front of my computer. Totally. And what's interesting in the Ladies at UX events is that um, we also have topics as like, you know, just for women, like how to actually negotiate because it's, some people, some some women can actually find it really challenging to talk about money, talking about getting a promotion, negotiating their salary, or like what to do when something that's, you know, uncomfortable happened at work. Like how do they bring up to, um, you know, HR and, and things like that. So these type of topics are usually not um, brought up in other sorts of events. So we find that our community, and I'm happy that our community has this sort of platform and this um, give people this opportunity to talk about topics that's not usually in, in other types of tech or UX um, communities. Yeah, and I think creating communities that are a little bit more niche, so not just around design, but around design and something else can create like a much safer space to discuss those things. So for example, if it's like women and design, um, you know, you do feel a lot safer to talk about negotiating or if, you know, something happened at work that you were really uncomfortable talking to HR about, like there is a, you can find a lot of strength once you're in a group that aligns not just with where you are career wise, but who you are personally, because sometimes, you know, yeah, you go to like a UX meetup or a tech meetup and like you're all there because you work in that space, but personally you might not necessarily all be on the same level and so you find it harder to open up to those people because you know you don't really know where they sit so I think that's the great thing about creating these different sort of segmented communities it's not about like um, closing people off or siloing them it's just about like creating spaces which feel far more comfortable for people to express themselves 
Yeah, that's exactly right. And I also want to say about ladies at UX Amsterdam. So our community is open to all genders, all backgrounds, all races, and all experiences and and whatnot. Like one doesn't even have to be a UX designer in order to join. And we found that like having this inclusive environment where we allow uh, men to join and also hear the struggles of women is actually quite helpful. And there are a lot of male supporters in our community, and I'm very grateful that they are like giving opportunities to other women. They are listening to female speakers, and they are like, yeah, they are basically helping us to pr- promote female talent. Definitely, like having a safe space is is important. And our experience in Amsterdam. Specifically, is that uh, even though we open the doors to men, it still feels like a safe space because it's just when people come to our event, they find a different vibe than other events. We are really welcoming. We're saying hi to everyone with smiles, and it's very inclusive. So people just feel that this is a safe environment, whether they are talking to men or t- talking to women. So yeah, the sounding very proud of. Yeah, I totally agree that it's not it's not about yeah just having women in the room. It's about like the environment and the vibe that you create in the room. And yeah, quite and I and I know plenty of men who are just as keen to join the conversation and be a part of that change as well. And yeah, opening up those communities to be inclusive is yeah the best thing that we can do if we want to create more diverse sort of workplaces and teams. Definitely, totally agree with that. Uh, and so we haven't really ch- talked much about some of the actual sort of day-to-day design stuff that you do. It, um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the kinds of UX and product design you do because UX obviously ex- like covers a lot of stuff, everything from interviewing customers, um, creating like flowcharts, putting in wireframes, skinning it up in the UI, like what kind of, are you, do you find yourself working right across the sort of user experience spectrum or do you really sort of hone in on one particular part? For for me, my role as a UX slash product designer is I design the end-to-end uh, product, uh, end-to-end design process. So I the stuff that I do in my daily work involves Pretty much everything that you just mentioned, from uh, flowcharts to wireframes to UI mockups to research to the interviews, recruiting users. Um, I basically have all these um, all these skills, and the client can come to me and they mention that they only need the research or they only need UX design, and I can um, help the client. So. So yeah, like I, that's why like I have this title UX slash product design because I'm not really sure which one works best. Um, because I my my main skill, uh, if you know about like the T shape, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, like the being T shape is that my T like the vertical is rooted in interaction design UX, but I'm also like my horizontal spans across. Uh, user research and also like a little bit of micro copy, a little bit of uh, a bit of UI design, like, and also maybe like a tiny bit of animation design. But I am not like a a great animator, but I know that I am a great, uh, well, like capable <laughs> UX designer and who can do much of a lot of other things. 
Yeah, it's so hard to um, to choose a title these days when you know you're you're expected to like do all these different skill sets, and then you know like giving yourself a job title can be quite difficult because you don't want to pigeonhole yourself, especially if um, you know you're more of a generalist or T-shaped designer I find I just don't I just tell people I'm a designer I just can't even <laughs> quite often be bothered getting into like the nitty-gritty of it because I do like brand design mm-hmm. product design I mean any anything that's required because of you know hashtag startup life you know you do it all but yeah it's it's kind of interesting though like I'm quite similar to you like I like to be able to do everything from the user research interviews right through to the more high fidelity sort of visual design and interaction aspects because it's kind of nice that you can sort of see and really deeply understand you know where that solution is coming from because of you know that one comment or that several comments that were made by users. Yeah, exactly. So I think working on the end-to-end uh, design process is definitely valuable because there's one person who does the research, designs the UX, designs the UI. There's no, um, there's like less chance of some like miscommunication, like something is being left out, something is miss, yeah, something is like not like missing out from part of the process. So I do enjoy, and it is my preference to. Um, take on like the full product design spectrum. It's just that like, because I am strongly rooted in UX and some companies that come to me to um, just for the UX part. Sure. And how have you found collaborating with other designers on say in-house teams or maybe in other agencies who, um, who are maybe doing, you know, other parts of that product design how have you found being brought in as the freelance designer and also probably the remote designer? Yeah, that's uh, that's actually the situation of my last project. So I work for uh, I I work with a client that is a distributed team, and there were I was the only um, contractor, and even though everyone almost everyone worked remotely, so I was the only contractor, and I work with two in-house designers. And what's interesting is that they recruited me, like they hired me because I my skills complement uh, the skills of their in-house designers. So I work with one designer developer hybrid that's more like on the front end CSS HTML side, and I and there another another designer was a UI designer, like a visual designer who's who has experience in like branding campaigns and like. Um, graphic design and whatnot, and my skills were stronger in UX, so my skills complemented um, them well. And I find that working as a, a freelancer uh, in a team that's mostly in-house does have a little bit of difference. I guess it has to do with also company culture, like that um, when they're hiring, um, they wouldn't tell me because I'm a contractor myself. So this kind of difference does make me feel not so great but I do understand like I am I choose to be a contractor when I when they also gave me a full-time offer that I didn't accept but in terms of like collaboration and work it's pretty much uh, the same like they treated me as part of the team asking like they will um, you know invite me to meetings and will like give me company updates so there's some difference here and there but in terms of like our work like design work it's it's not that much different from uh, if I was working in-house for them. 
yeah, I it's definitely hard being a freelancer and you're almost like a transplant into another body and the body has like, you know, a certain culture that you need to mold into and like just work alongside of it. You're fully part of the team and then you're transplanted out into another body with a different culture. So you've got to be quite flexible with that. Yeah, definitely. And and what some people like to do or and, and also why some people chose to become a consultant or independent is that we have the ability to just work on just a part of a project. Like we we get to just join a team, uh, get a team set up, get a design set up, educate a team about UX, best practices, and then we move on to other projects. It's like we have this um, um, option of working on several different interesting projects. And then we, we have just a lot more flexibility and we have, um, plainly speaking, like, a lot more different options and also a lot more different projects than compared to if we were to work in-house on just one product or one project. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely enjoy that about my freelance work is the ability to jump around different types of projects, different problems. You know, you may work with one type of branding one week and then you're doing another type the next week. I, I'm sort of like, I, I'm always like flip-flopping between different things. So I would find it difficult if I was to go into something full-time, one brand or one client and just be focusing on that because, you know, you do start to get pigeonholed a little bit that way. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And also throughout my uh, freelance career, I had the um, opportunity to work in several different industries with like many different clients. And it actually helps me to understand more um like more industries because I am working with a client who is, you know, usually like the expert in that particular area, like SaaS or real estate or travel and whatnot. So I actually get to learn a lot of different things by by being able to um, work with different types of clients. Yeah, I think that's the fun part of being a designer is you kind of get to put on these different hats of different industries and become a like a mini expert in these different industries without having to, you know, hold a degree and work for 10 years to understand it. You get to like deep dive really quickly, work on it and then move on to the next thing. And it's just like, it's kind of like helps you evolve and keeps everything exciting. Yeah, totally. And and not saying that like it's, you know, bad to work in an in-house, to, to work in in-house on one product. It just people have different preferences. Like for me, I get bored kind of easily. Yeah. So that's why I, I have this like, <laughs> yeah, like nomad life, working on different project life. And once like while some people, they really prefer to concentrate in one thing in one place. So they're just different types of people. And I prefer to have this like excitement and const- like constantly moving and being constantly challenged. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important for people to understand and figure out what t- what type of work they like to do in that way. Because, yeah, there are a lot of people who would find working remotely, working freelance, like changing projects all the time would find it really unsettling and really difficult to stay on top of. And, some, and you know, they quite, maybe quite like a routine, stay in one place, like one type of project that they can really become, you know, an industry expert on. 
And I think the quicker you can figure that out as a designer, you know, the more you're going to enjoy your job and understand what direction you should take your career. Yeah, totally. That's some great advice right there. <laughs> Soundbite. And what kind of projects would you like to work on in the future? Like, do you have a dream project? Oh, my dream project. Um... So right now, my focus is in designing inclusive experiences for diverse users. So I specialize in uh, localization or designing, designing for international uh, users. So I guess my dream project would be like a meaty one where a big client, uh, preferably, preferably like big name, and ask me to help on um, like localizing or researching. Um, the, the, this region and I get to like help them recruit the users, interview the users and then designing, localizing the interface for multiple countries or multiple regions. And so I, uh, I specialize in localization and I have designed for users in um, North America, a, a bit of South America, uh, Asia a lot, APAC a bit and Europe definitely a lot. So I haven't had the experience to design for Africa and Middle East. So if I could, I could like have a drink project, it would be either like this big clients, they need me to design for uh, users in like multiple countries, or it would be like a client based in Africa or Middle East or South America. And uh, for me to help them uh, increase the you know user experience of their locale. So that would sound really exciting for me. Uh, well, now that you've set it out to the universe, hopefully it manifests and shows up in your inbox, you know, in the next week or so for you. That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> we can leave it there today, Jenny, but it was so great to talk to you and learn more about what it's like to be a remote designer, uh, creating more diversity in the industry, speaking and your events. It's amazing. You've, you know, you've achieved a lot. It's really inspiring. Thank you, Kate. It was, yeah, it was great to be able to share my journey and also talk about like importance of more diversity and yeah, remote working is all the stuff that I really enjoy. Awesome. I'll link all of the stuff we've talked about down in the show notes and where people can get in touch with you and find out more about you as well. Thanks for tuning in to Design Work. If you enjoyed it, give us a rating to help spread the word and subscribe to get your weekly fix. That's right, it's weekly now. You can also find us keeping social on Twitter at DesignWorkPod and Instagram at DesignWorkPodcast. DesignWork is brought to you by Dovetail X. Find epic creative talent and assemble teams for your next project. Head to DovetailX.com to get started. See you back here for more interviews with trailblazing creatives on how they design work.